This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, and more accurately, the coming of the Messiah, I thought it important to try and address and talk a little bit about the fundamentals of our faith during this season in the context of what we claim to believe as people of God. What I mean is, at Christmas time every year, we can become so consumed with the spectacles of the season, the lights, the presents, the trees, the music, even one more rendition of Mary Did You Know, that we fail to realize how much the devil has exploited our childlike juvenile fantasies, distracting us into an almost drunken stupor, exposing our spiritual immaturity. The onlookers and people who hate the church see us as foolish and brainwash imbeciles who either spend our time lining the pockets of greedy corporate CEOs and executives by buying gifts to symbolize a fabled story of wise men bringing gifts to an anchor baby laying in a manger as his unwed refugee parents try to cross the border. Or as puppets who go to churches as slaves to a religious system that also wants us to line its pockets under the veneer of faith in a God that they can't see as we look forward to a hope that keeps us in this state of bondage. What I have just done is paint a very realistic picture of what many people think of us at this time of year as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, at this time of the year, when people are witnessing a devastating war in Gaza, where the excessive retaliation for hostages taken by a murderous terrorist group has devolved to the unintended killing of those same hostages by those who sought to liberate them, we are singing jingle bells. At this time of the year, when a volcano erupts and natural disasters abound, we are making lists and checking them twice. At this time of year, when families are risking their lives to get to the border of the United States in an effort to flee violence and an economic situation that we caused, we are checking to see who's naughty and nice. At this time of year, when our government is run by insurrectionists, and judges in our highest courts can be bought. We are giving and receiving gifts. My point is that this time of the year when it seems like all hell is breaking loose around us, we have the luxury of putting our heads in the sand for a moment, pretending that this will be another silent night where all is calm and where all is bright. As we round the young virgin mother and child watching this 
holy infant who is so tender and mild sleep in heavenly peace. But the truth is for many of us here and even around the world and those watching me online, if we are really honest, the night is far from silent. Yes, the night is far from silent as we suffer through unusual pain in our bodies that no doctor can tell us why. Yeah. The night is far from silent as we constantly have to decide whether to eat or pay a bill. Uh -huh. The night is far from silent when we are in so much debt that we can see no way towards our financial freedoms. The night is far from silent when we're caring for aging parents. The night is far from silent when we live with deep regret for some of the choices that we wish we could take back. Yes, sir. And the night is far from silent that we wonder, is there any point going on after all? Yes, my brothers and sisters, as we celebrate the joy of this season, for many of us, joy is nowhere to be found. That said, let's take a look at the scripture that was read, Luke, the third chapter and the 23rd verse, where it reads, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So on this day, as we celebrate the Christ of Christmas, and in the context of all that I've said thus far, I want to talk about how we think about Jesus and how that thinking relates to how we respond to him. And I will do this in a message I have titled quite simply, So It Was Thought. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate and honor your birth. But your birth was one thing. Your work was another. So, Lord, use this preacher right now, Lord, to speak a message on this day of celebration, but also somehow, sometimes a day of sadness. For someone needs to think about you in a new way. So speak, Lord, as you've already spoken, but say it again so we can hear it and that we might believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. The identity of Jesus Christ is and has been a very real challenge for people the world over for centuries. There is no other figure or person in history that has caused more consternation or more contentment for that matter in the hearts and minds of people than Jesus Christ to whom we call the Messiah. But who was he really? And for us that would yet believe, who is he really? Uh -huh. Is he God? Mm. Is he man? Is he both? And how can we even really know and know for sure? Well, I certainly believe that Jesus is God in human form, but what does that even mean? From the announcement and the time of his birth, even to his death and subsequent resurrection, even to this very day, Jesus has been and continues to be a most enigmatic figure. In fact, 
the question Jesus even asked his disciples when he said, who do people say that I am, continues to be the same question that people are asking today. Who do people say that I am? According to a 2015 study of the beliefs of, of Americans about Jesus conducted by the Barner Group, they uncovered a couple of things. Number one, they discovered that 56% of American adults believe that Jesus was God. The other half, or close to 52%, believed or somewhat believed that Jesus was only human and he committed sins like any other person. 26% of that half believed that he was only a religious leader and the survey also uncovered, hear me church, that younger people and younger generations are increasingly less likely to believe that Jesus was God. The point is, everyone has an opinion or some kind of thought about who Jesus may or may not be. And the only way that we can even begin to know the truth, the real truth about Jesus' identity, is to go to the only source that we have about him and his life. And that source is the Bible. It's the only place that we can go. As a matter of fact, even the people of the Bible have had to had their own reasons. They, they needed to have constant proof, even the people of the Bible, about who Jesus was. You see, from his birth, or even before his birth, Zechariah needed an angel, Gabriel, to come to him, and he still didn't believe. Mary didn't know how she got pregnant. Elizabeth's baby had to leap in her womb for her to believe. And, and when Mary had the child, wise men needed a star to tell them. The shepherds, they got a chorus of angels while they were watching their flocks at night. Simeon got his confirmation uh, directly from a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus confounded the wise when he demonstrated his great knowledge. John the Baptist needed to see the Holy Spirit descending as it were a dove, even hearing a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So all of these people got all of this in order to know who Jesus was, yet all we have is the Bible. But what do you do when even the Bible itself questions the identity of Jesus. What, what, what do you do when the very same scriptures that you depend on and that I depend on creates its own doubt? What do you do then? <laughs> Journey with me for a moment as I read this genealogy that speaks to Jesus' identity found in Matthew. Now, it's long, so bear with me because I'm doing it for a reason. This is what Matthew said. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, 
Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Pause. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Let's continue. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And pause, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Let's continue. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shelatiel, Shelatiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Akim, Akim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, pause, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. The question that this raises is not a difficult one to follow. How is this the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah? How is he the son of David? For all we heard as I read the account, and if you were able to follow, this sounds more like the genealogy of Joseph the husband of Mary, than of Jesus, the son of David. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. But that's what Matthew said. Now let's see if we can figure out what Luke said, because Luke also gave us a genealogy. And based on what Luke said in chapter 3, this is what Luke said. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Let's stop right there. Now, if you read Luke, it'll give you the whole list. But I can't go any further. Because <laughs> Luke is special. What we know about Luke is that Luke, in his book, explained that many people before him had taken up the task to write down the things that people who were eyewitnesses to what Jesus did, what they had to say about him. And Luke himself decided to carefully investigate everything from the beginning for himself. Luke wanted to write down a very orderly account of every single thing that everybody said about Jesus. And he wanted Theophilus to know that what he wrote was with certainty and with credibility. In other words, Luke wanted to make sure that what he was writing, he researched it. He researched it so good that there would be no doubt that what he was writing was credible and true. Luke was doing that. In other words, Dr. Luke was a master researcher. And he wanted to make sure that he checked out all the things that were said about Jesus for himself. I hope you're still tracking with me. Yeah. Luke was not going to take Matthew's word for it. Luke was not going to take even Mark's word for it. Luke was not going to take Isaiah's word for it when Isaiah said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and we shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, by the way, Emmanuel is with us. Yes, sir. <laughs> Luke was not going to take 
Hosea's word for it when Hosea said, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I've called my son. Luke was not going to take Micah's word for it when Micah said, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Luke was not, definitely not, going to take David's word for it when David wrote, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. They say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And finally, Luke was definitely not going to take Isaiah's word for it again when Isaiah said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Luke was not going to take anyone's word for it because they said it or because they wrote it. Luke was going to make every effort to research everything for himself so that when he writes, so that when Luke writes, forget about when David writes or when Isaiah wrote or when Jeremiah wrote, when Luke writes, he wants to make sure that what he writes is <laughs> it's more credible historically than Homer's Odyssey. More scientifically provable than Einstein's relativity. And he wants to make sure that it was more experientially believable than Newton's gravity. Luke was going to make sure that what he wrote, you would believe. So when Luke writes, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son of so it was thought of Joseph, the son of Heli. Why did he say that? So it was thought? What does that mean? So it was thought. Are you kidding me? Did Luke mean to imply that what the people thought about Jesus' his identity as Joseph, the carpenter's son, was false? Or did Luke mean to imply that what the people believed about Jesus' identity as a Jew was false? Or did Luke mean to imply that the people really didn't know who Jesus really was? For we can all remember statements like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So it was thought. He's a false prophet who eats with tax collectors and sinners. So it was thought. He's no good teacher, allowing his disciples to eat without washing first ceremonially. So it was thought. He's no prophet, for he didn't even know what sort of woman was washing his feet with her hair. So it was thought. He's no good rabbi, not even respecting the Sabbath. So it was thought. He's a blasphemer. So it was thought. He's no king. Only Caesar is king. So it was thought. And huh, he saved others. But he couldn't save himself. So it was thought. So when Luke writes, so it was thought, we can understand that the people at the time of Jesus thought a certain way about Jesus. And that way of thinking affected everything that they would or would not believe about 
Jesus. This is why they chose to accuse him, for they thought they knew him. But what about you? And what about me? For if you are like the 52% of Americans that believe or somewhat believe that Jesus was just another human being that committed sins like any other person, or if you are part of the 26% that believe that he was only a religious leader, that he was just a, a good man, or if you are the younger generation that is increasingly less likely to believe that Jesus was God, then you too agree that, watch this, nothing good came out of Nazareth. That Jesus was just a good man and he's irrelevant to me today. That Christmas is just a nice holiday where we get to pretend to be good. If that's where you are this Christmas season, thinking that Jesus is just another historical figure who gave us some good teachings like the golden rule, then for you, Luke may be saying, hmm, so it was. But I believe Luke meant something entirely different from what I've just outlined. I believe Luke was saying something else <laughs> altogether because I love me some Dr. Luke. You see, when we look at Matthew's genealogy, Matthew traces Joseph's line to show Jesus' royal right to the throne of David. Matthew's genealogy is not biological. It's legal. And since David was king, by linking Jesus to David, Matthew was telling the Jews that Jesus is king. This is why the blind man who shouted out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And all the crowds wanted to silence him, stop Jesus in his tracks. Because he wasn't simply saying, Jesus, son of David. He was saying, Jesus, I know you're the Messiah, the Holy One of God. You see, he's saying you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Messiah. The blind man saw Jesus as he really was, while those who had eyes to see saw another good man. So it was thought. But in a similar way, Luke also traces Jesus' genealogy, but he does it through Mary's line. Yes, unlike Matthew's genealogy of Jesus, which was legal, Luke's genealogy of Jesus was actually biological. <laughs> now, now, to be clear, Luke did not specifically single out Mary. Because you mentioned women in the Bible, in the genealogy, it's an issue, right? But look with me again for just a moment at what Luke does. Luke begins it this way. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son. So it was thought, the son of Heli. Joseph was a son of Heli. Joseph. Because of his marriage to Mary. Who would have been the daughter or Heli. If this is getting confusing, let's read what Matthew said again. Yes. Matthew said, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Why did Matthew do that? Matthew identified Joseph as the husband of Mary. This is what made Joseph the son of Heli. Let me explain it this way. Let me put it in plain language. I got married to my beautiful wife. <laughs> I got married to my beautiful wife. And every time I see her father, he calls me his son. Mm. What up, son? How you doing, son? 
Addison Irby sees me as his son. Why? Because I'm the husband of Alicia. See? So what Luke was doing was Luke was saying, Joseph's right to appropriate Jesus was based on his grafting in and his adoption. See? For Mary was the one who was the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Read Luke 3.34. She was specifically of the tribe of Judah. She was also a descendant of Boaz and David, and Luke traces Mary's lineage all the way back to Adam. Brothers and sisters, you got to read the Bible. You see, this fits with Luke's purpose as he wrote to the Gentiles, to you and to me, and emphasized that Jesus is the Son of God who came to save all his people. So when Luke said, so it was thought, he didn't mean to imply what the people thought about Jesus' identity that the carpenter's son was false. Luke wasn't trying to imply that what the people believed about Jesus as a Jew was false. Luke wasn't trying to imply that the people really didn't know who Jesus was. Luke meant to validate, to confirm the virgin birth. See, Luke was not casting doubt on Jesus' identity. Luke wanted us to know that while most people saw and understood Jesus as the son of Joseph the carpenter, while most people thought that he was just the carpenter's son, Luke was really saying huh, he was our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Was crucified, dead and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And sits at the right hand of God the Father. And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Luke says, so they thought he was just the carpenter's son. For there is one God. And there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Luke wanted us to know that for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Luke wanted to emphasize, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to the fullness <laughs> he is the head over every power and authority. Luke wanted to make sure that while they think this way about Jesus, Luke wanted you to know he is the Alpha and the Omega. That it is he who is, who was, and who is to come. That's Jesus, God in human form. And there is, on this Christmas Sunday, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And for some reason the church has gotten to the place where it has forgotten its essential message. We're trying to curry favor with other people. We're trying to say things to be politically correct. We're trying to toe the line, if you will. But for those of us who are not perishing, so they thought when they think about Jesus. 
You can say anything you want, but we must, as the church of God, be clear so that when we think about Jesus, it's not the way they thought. So my brothers and my sisters, now you know. Mary, did you know? Have a very Merry Christmas. And may the Lord be with you, my beloved, as it was thought. Amen?